0: You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky-Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275, in Hebron some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9:30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect life-changing word. Turn with me in your copy of God's word or turn your device to Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 through 14 will be our text today as we are going through our cover-to-cover cover series. Let me just say quickly that maybe you didn't follow with us through the uh, month of January and February. Uh, you can still jump in right now. You can get the reading plan and start this week and carry along, and you'll be caught up. Next week, you'll hear along. So you're not, uh, it's not that you can't jump back in. This is a perfect time for you to start, especially as we're beginning a new series uh, Called In a Land Far, Far Away, as we talk about the traveling of the Israelites to the Promised Land and learning what they learned about God through that time. As we begin that series, we want to think about what God did to save them, how the Israelites' trust in God wavered, but what we can understand and we must understand beginning today, it all starts with a rescue. It all starts with a God who loved them, who loved us, uh, and that rescued them from slavery and oppression, and that it is a God who loves the Israelites. It's the same God that loves us and sent his son, Jesus Christ. And so as we read this together today, we want to see the rescue and remember The establishment of the Passover and what it speaks to us as Christians. So beginning in chapter 12, in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month that they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. And the household is too small for a whole animal. That person and neighbor nearest its house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animals according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it, roasted over the fire, along the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire. Its head will, uh, as well as its legs and inner organs." You must not leave any until uh, the morning. Any part of it left until morning, you must burn. Here's how you must eat it. For you must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You are to eat in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt, and on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be the distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. Let us pray. God, today as we see this miracle this establishment of the Passover, this saving of God's people. May we see a compassionate God who loves us. May we see a holy God who hates sin. And God, we pray, may you draw us near to you as we are reminded how we are freed through your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Mike was a veteran, and during the floods in Houston uh, this past year, him and a friend decided that it was, he was going to take it on himself to do everything he could to help as many people as he could. So he got in a boat and started to, to go around from house to house, and, and he said he would never forget the first house he went to. He said he pulled up with his boat and saw that there was a family of four inside, and there was a father who was in his middle sixties, and uh, they had come alongside, and they had uh, they had uh, were able to get some of the children, the children and his wife out. But as he was pulling the wife out, all of a sudden the floodwaters just—it was like the, the dam broke. Everything just started to go. And it was, he said, I saw the fear in this man's eyes because the water just started to rapidly go up, and he was starting to panic because in just a few minutes he knew that he was not going to be saved. And so he thought quickly he had his field hatchet. And what he did was uh, Mike just started hatching away at the window and all the, uh, all the uh, framing around it and just basically pulled the window out of the side of the house and helped the man to escape into the boat just in time. Now, he said all through the night he helped different families, but he said it was that first one. And the fear in that man's eyes when everything changed in an instant, that would be reminded in his, it would be in his mind for the rest of his life. You know, if we went around the room, we could probably talk about when things change at a moment's notice. Things are going one way, and they, they change or they turn on a dime. Sometimes bad and sometimes good. We can think to all times in our life that we woke up one way that, that wasn't the other. Maybe it's a pain. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's something that's happened in your life. Change can happen in an instant. But what happened here is the Israelites was just that, an instant change. They were going to bed at night as slaves, and the next morning would be waking up as free people. We see this. And we can't overlook the miracle that happened as God saved his people. People who had been oppressed for several generations who thought their lot in life was hard labor would be at the bottom of the totem pole. That they, they, their very lives would be gone. But God stepped in and changed their lives. Friends, this is the same miracle that happens to us. Our lives change in an instant. Our lives change in an instant when God comes into our lives. We were oppressed and, and overtaken by sin. But through the glory of God, through Jesus Christ, our lives have been changed overnight. Our eternity now has a new meaning. The beginning of this rescue of the Israelites, as we read it, was, is really a foreshadowing of what God would do through Jesus Christ for us. Now, we come here in Exodus chapter 12 knowing what's happened at this point. In Exodus chapter 1, we are introduced to a new pharaoh, not the same pharaoh that Joseph served under, the one that was kind to the people of Israel, but this new pharaoh was threatened by the people. Their numerous growth was fearful to him. He was afraid they would be overtaken. And so he callously and horribly started to mistreat the Hebrew people. Uh, he actually ordered that all the firstborn would be killed. And we read about the story of Moses was saved in the basket, floated down the river, ended up in Pharaoh's house. And, and there uh, Moses grew up and he worked for Pharaoh. He lived with Pharaoh. He, uh, but then at age 40, he couldn't take it anymore he knew his fellow hebrews were being tortured and mistreated and in age 40 he took judgment into his own hands and killed a man uh, because he was mistreating a hebrew so he fled to midian and then we see we read last week that he met with god and god put him on a different path And Moses had a lot of excuses. I can't do this. I can't speak. I don't have this authority. uh, Who am I? But God said to him, Moses, this isn't about you. This is about me. This is about me bringing up the people into the land. This is not about your inadequacies. This is about me displaying my power through the promises that I keep. And Moses at age 80, as we read earlier, set out to speak to Pharaoh, to let his people go. And over time, then, God used a series of, mi- uh, of miracles, a series of plagues. As Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God, he used plagues to, to use and to manipulate Pharaoh, to let his people go. Blood in the Nile, frogs everywhere, gnats, uh, flies, gnats 2.0, <laughs> a death of cattle and livestock, boils break out, hail, And locusts consumed everything and then darkness for three days. And then it came to the final miracle, the final plague, the Passover. God had hardened Pharaoh's heart because he wanted to display among his people that it is God and God alone who can save he could say to Pharaoh and his people and to the Egyptians, You can cry out to your little g gods that don't exist, but it is only me I am who is the one true God, and I will save my people. God used this to establish himself as the God of salvation, that he was working all of history to redeem his people. When we get to this 10th plague, what we see is the miracle of a lamb provided for his people. When you narrow down this story, we see that judgment is coming. And the only thing that made the difference between those people of of God and those people of Egypt was a lamb. When we think of this, this truth, we think of this moment... We can't be, help but be overwhelmed of the power of a rescue done by the lamb. Every house in Egypt, either the firstborn was going to die or a lamb was going to die. And it is only through the grace of God that he saved his people. And friends, it is only by the grace of God that he saves us. As we read through this story, I want us to see the provisions of the perfect lamb of Jesus and that that lamb rescues us just as he rescued his people. The first is this that we see is that a lamb displays God's provision. Now, I'm not going to read all of this again. But in verse 5, it says you must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male that you can take it from the sheep or the goats you are to keep it to the 14th day of this month and the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight they must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them verse 11 here's how you must eat it you must be dressed for travel your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand you are to eat in a hurry it is the lord's passover here we see that the future of Israel was changed overnight. And, and in this, this challenge uh, to his people to be ready, because overnight you will be freed. But God speaks to the Israelites, and he says, I'm going to unleash an exorable, irresistible, unstoppable force among people. I'm going to send a destroyer in the land. If you thought locusts being all over your doors, if you thought locusts eating all your food, if you thought the bloody Nile was a horrible thing, just wait till you see what's about to happen. I'm gonna unleash a terrible force that every firstborn animal and child will be killed. Even against the greatest military foe of that generation, I'm going to slice through it like a knife through hot butter. There is nothing that is going to stop it except for one thing, a lamb. Either the firstborn will die or a lamb will die. There is nothing so rightly teaches us about the perfection of God's judgment and love than the Passover. We live in a society Where people want to say that only we want to follow a God of love. We want to forget that he's the perfect creator and justice maker over all of history. But friends, we know as we have seen who God is throughout the first book of the Bible that God is holy. That there is no sin that can be in his presence. And for him to be the perfect judge, he can't just excuse sin. He must make things right. A death must occur. But here, in God's loving nature, also provides a lamb. There is a death, but it is a lamb who dies. You see, here what we see in this scripture. Is it wasn't the people that can make provision for themselves. They had no way of freeing themselves from Pharaoh. They had no way of being restored back to God as a people. Except that God provided for them. Friends, this lamb has come up in scriptures again and again. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham answered to Isaac as they walked up the mountain. And Isaac says, where is the sacrificial offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on. And later on it says, then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything uh, uh, for him. For now I know that you fear God since you have withheld your only son. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram offering as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Friends, we see this picture of a a son, a firstborn again and again. Why should this firstborn be killed? Because it represents the hope of the family, the hope of the community, the hope of that person, the firstborn. But in that, God is saying that there is no way that you are perfect. I can't give you this blessing because you are sinful. You are not faithful. But I am faithful. I will provide a lamb. I will make a payment. I will provide for you. Isaiah chapter 53, we see even more so that that Isaiah saw this future lamb that would be slain. He writes this way. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And, And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck down because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned to a grave with the wicked. But he was a rich man at his death because he had not done no violence and had not speak, spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will, uh, he will see his seed. And he will prolong his days and by his hand the Lord's pleasure Will be accomplished. See, this is all about God showing his people that I will keep my covenant with you despite your unfaithfulness, despite your sin. I'm going to provide a way. And it isn't until John said, John the Baptist said these words, that we see the future Christ who came to be the Lamb for his people. John the Baptist said, the next day John saw Jesus coming and he said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, we cannot deny that it is Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate, ultimate substitution for our sins that had to be laid so that we could be forgiven. Uh, The parallels are unmasked. In John chapter 19, it speaks of a lamb, uh, 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 his bones were not broken. Why? Because in the Passover, it said there was a lamb, could not have any blemish, blemish. In Matthew chapter 27, it says that Jesus was crucified at twilight. Why? Because at Passover, God said, sacrifice the lamb at twilight. See, friends, God loves us in a way that he gives us his son. He provides. You can't be good enough on your own. Our sin has to be dealt with. I know there's, there's a lot of people in northern Kentucky who say, I believe in a God who just loves us. I don't believe in a God of wrath. I don't need Christ. I don't need this death. I don't like to talk about a God of death. Friends, ironically, in all due respect, A God of more wrath than your God is necessarily a God of more love than your God. You see, if a God of wrath who is willing to even sacrifice his own son for justice shows his love is immeasurable for us. You see, it's one thing for somebody to say, I love you, but it's another thing to show it. Friends, over the last several months, Sarah and I have felt more love than we could ever imagine. Through our friends, through our family, through our church, we have never understood love greater because through this time of, of, of the birth of Isabella, through, through Sarah's sickness, through, through many sleepless nights, we have felt love because people have shown love to us. They came to our house. They prayed for us. They did these things. We saw love. And friends, we see love in God because it is in God who was willing to sacrifice His Son because of His wrath. We see a God who loves us all the more. And friends, the more that you take away God and His wrath against sin, then you won't be electrified by His love. You won't be transformed by a little g God who doesn't hate sin so much. You have to have a God who shows it. And this God showed it through sacrificing his son. So therefore, the God of the Bible, the God of more wrath than your generic God, is a God of more love. Secondly, we see on display here that the Lamb displays the universality of judgment. The universality of judgment. In verse 12 through 13, we see this. I will pass through the land of Egypt on the night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God says here to the people, That I'm sending this destroyer, and it's if I'm fast-forwarding through time for a judgment day. There is a judgment coming on everyone. That there's going to be one night, one place of divine judgment. It's going to be temporary, preliminary, but it's going to be devastating. And through this destruction, disintegration, and chaos, God will come down on all people. This is just a foretaste of what will happen In the day of judgment, now again R.C. Sproul says, "A God who does it righteously and angrily punish sin is an idol of our own making, not the God of the Bible." And notice the universality of the judgment. We set up this story. We know. The good guys and the bad guys, the the people of light and the people of dark in this story, are Egyptians as well as the Israelites. We think, we know that it's only the Egyptians who deserve to die, right? But no, what does God say? I'm going through all the land. Because why? We're all sinners. There's none good, not one of us. We set up this story knowing this, but as we know that it must be those Under the blood of the lamb who gets forgiven. We could play the postmodern game for a minute. We could even say, you could say, I have problems saying that there is a God who determines this, or that the Bible determines that there is good and bad and who establishes what goes into heaven and there's sin or there's not sin. Well, let's just say, let's take from a postmodern perspective to say that there is no God who determines this. Let's just put let's just say that we put an imaginary, invisible. A tape recorder around your neck that you would carry around with you for the rest of your life and that around that tape recorder that you by the end are judged by the same ways that you judge other people let's just say that the way that you judge what other people are good is recorded and stored and at the end then you go by that same judgment friends what would you say there is no way that I could do this There's no way that I'm going to pass. Because even the same judgments that I put up for other people, I'm going to fail. And we can set up whatever judgment or moral statute that you want. Whether it's the great commandment, the the first commandment, the the greatest commandment, the ten commandments. Whatever standard that you might, uh, you would say, let's just take this. Every one of those, friends, an ounce we would fail the reality of this story is there was a universality of the judgment that happened it is only by the grace of god that the israelites set under the blood of the lamb and we must understand this the severity of the sin that is in our life we are not separate than any other person Just because maybe we grew up in church or maybe our family went to church or because we did a little more good things than our neighbor next door. There is none of us that have a a better spot or provision for us to be restored to God than anyone else. The reality is a sin in all of our lives must be dealt with. And maybe the question for you today is have you dealt with your sins Have you trusted Christ? Friends, all have sinned and fallen short. You need to believe in Christ, the God of the Bible. You need to believe that Jesus died and was buried and was rose again. And that the Bible says if you confess to God, you will be saved and forgiven. That is our hope for our sin. But maybe, believer, you need to ask yourself, Have you confessed your sin to God lately? Have you been hiding sin and thinking that you don't need to deal with it? The very essence of ungodliness is that we excuse ourselves as we excuse our own sins. We need to make sure that we are dealing with it with the sins that we have the good hope for us as believers is that we know this truth already if we confess with our mouths god will forgive us but we can't think that we are some people that don't need to deal with our sin may we be forgiven and cannot ignore the power of sin which leads us to this finally the lamb brings freedom In verse 14, the day is to be a memorial for you that you will celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it as throughout your generations as a permanent statute. Here God gives the instructions to the Israelites as a moment in time which will be a Passover meal, a festival that will take place to be reminded of how God took them up out of Egypt. Every element of the meal speaks to the bitterness of slavery. Uh, It speaks to the freedom that they gained through God. Every element from the lamb eaten to the unleavened bread to the wine, all of it speaks to what God did through this miracle. And he told in Moses that this whole purpose of freedom was to free my people to worship. Chapter 3 and chapter 6, God says this is to free my people to worship me. Friends, this freedom moment this lamb gained freedom for his people and the lamb gives freedom for us Romans chapter 6 verse 16 don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves you are slaves of that one you obey either of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over and having set free from sin, you become enslaved to righteousness. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just just as you have offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is the gift of freedom we gain. We were slaves to our sin and it led to death. But now we have been freed so that we might worship God truly. That we might worship him rightly. That we are free now to follow him. Not in fear of God, but because he freed us through his son Jesus Christ. We can't help but follow him, love him, serve him, obey him, and bring our whole lives to honor him. It is this now, this freedom, this slavery to righteousness that results in a new way of life, an eternal life. So listen, if you were to ask an Israelite in that day, who are you and what is, what is your life all about? The Israelite would say, well, I was a slave of Egypt. I was under the penalty of death. But I took shelter under the blood of a lamb, and now God is in our midst, and He's taking us to the promised land. That's who we are. That's what we're about. If you were to ask a Christian today, who are you and what are you about? The Christian would have to say something very similar I was a slave, I was under the penalty of death. I didn't even understand what made me so confused. But now I see it's not my goodness. It's not my privilege. It's not my badness or my goodness, my pedigree or my achievements or my class. I took shelter under the blood of a lamb. And now he is leading me to a dwelling place with him in the promised land. Right now things don't look good. But it's a wilderness that I'm sort of going through. But one day I will know that I will be in the land with him forever. That's what a Christian says. God is bringing you to freedom. It's not a yoke of burden. It's a freedom from slavery. It's a freedom to serve him. It's a freedom to love him. It's a freedom to be his forever. So what did you come here for today? Were you looking for ultimate freedom? Were you looking for freedom from sin? Were you coming because you knew that you are far from God? Friends, don't leave here today without calling out to Him. Freedom is a gift that He wants to give. If you would, by faith, accept Christ, you would be free and you would be free indeed. Or maybe you're a Christian here and you're struggling with sin. And you need freedom today. Let us be reminded that you're free. That sin has no power over you. You are not set in it to where you can't change. You can't be born. You can't be renewed. You can't be reestablished. That you can't turn around. That you can't take it off. Your sin has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. You have let the prison doors be open. So deal with that sin. Seek counsel through biblical counseling, through a pastor, through a friend. Seek out ways to to put that sin to death. Ask others to pray for you. Confess it to God, but confess it to someone else in a proper way so that you might know that sin doesn't have power in silence. Friends, we are not to be controlled by our sin because a great lamb died for us. How might you need freedom today? Friends, look to a rescuer who provided a lamb. Maybe it's for freedom for sin that you might be born again. Or maybe it's from sin that resides in your heart. Let's see the great rescuer and the miracle of a lamb. Let us pray. God, we thank you this morning for the reminder of what the Passover did in our lives. We are thankful, God, that that lamb took on our sin, that took our place and established our freedom. And God, I pray this morning that we would understand the absoluteness of sin, but the even greater power of your love over it. And we are thankful that we can call out in faith And be born again. I pray, God, that there is someone here that you stir with your spirit to call out in faith that they might be born again. I pray this morning that there is someone who is stuck in sin, hidden sin, deep sin, that they would not leave here disillusioned or discouraged or saying that I'm just going to try a little bit harder to overcome it. No, that they would see that they are freed from that sin and that by your grace, by your spirit, that they can walk out. I pray that they would leave here close to you, sanctified and growing in your likeness. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. Most importantly, we hope that you have been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But He was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with Him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow Him.